So this morning we are looking at a story in the book of Genesis. Uh, chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Might be a familiar story uh, to you. Um, we're going to look at it. Um, you'll find the words on the screen beside me uh, before we read them. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you once again that, that we get to gather uh, together in this way. Grateful for your presence, grateful for, grateful for this book. Um, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that right now you would do what you do, that you would help us to, help us to see, to hear, help us to experience your presence. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Genesis 28, starting at verse 10. So we're sort of jumping in the middle of something here, and I'll fill in in a little bit, but here's what's going on. Jacob left Beersheba and set out toward Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. We will go that far. So, Jacob. Now, as always, in order for us to, to sort of make sense of the narrative that we just read, it's important for us to uh, to fill out the story a little bit. 
um, to find out a little bit more about Jacob and uh, where he's been and where he just came from and and what kind of a what kind of a guy is Jacob anyway and when you first enter into the story into Jacob's story and you first meet him I think the authors sort of want us to understand that this isn't exactly the kind of guy that that moms are saying hey little Johnny I want you to grow up and be like Jacob like he's not a model citizen at all okay in fact his very name Jacob clues us in into the kind of guy that that Jacob is uh, his name means the heel grasper or the deceiver the one who the one who supplants or the one who the one who overreaches so not all Jacobs are like that but, but that's what this guy is <laughs> okay he's the kind of guy that that will do absolutely anything it takes to get whatever it is he thinks he wants or thinks he he deserves it's the kind of guy we're talking about here so for instance let's see how this sort of plays itself out in his in his life what happened just before this? Well, his daddy, Isaac, was near the end of his life. He was very old. He didn't get around much, and it seemed like he was, he was confined to his bed. Also, he could barely see. He couldn't see very well at all, almost entirely blind. And it, it came time for him to do the, the ceremonial blessing of the oldest son, to sort of give him final rights to the inheritance. So, so Isaac plans this, this little celebration for himself and his oldest son, Esau. Esau is Jacob's older, much more hairy and smellier brother. That's what the story says. Okay, so Isaac tells Esau to, to go out on a hunt. He was this rugged outdoors kind of guy. So he tells Esau to go out on a hunt and find some wild game, hunt it, kill it, and make some of the tasty food that he likes the best. And then they'll sit down together, they'll, they'll celebrate together, and the blessing will be given. And once the blessing is given, once the inheritance is transferred and given, it can't be revoked, it can't be taken away, it's, it's, it's final. Okay, so Esau takes off to go on a hunt, uh, and then Jacob... And his mom, Rebecca, they sort of pull off the, the scam of a lifetime. So Rebecca makes the tasty food that Isaac loves the best while Esau's out on hunt. And then she also, she also designs this elaborate sort of costume for Jacob to wear because Esau's a lot hairier and he smells worse than Jacob. So put on this costume, right? And so apparently... Apparently Jacob was, or Isaac was a little bit skeptical at first when this whole thing started to go down. He wasn't sure about it. Jacob sort of knocks on the door and Isaac says, who is it? And Jacob deceitfully says, I'm Esau, I'm here for my blessing. Okay? It's a daring plan, but it works. Jacob gets the blessing intended for Esau can't be revoked, can't be changed, it's final, that's it. Now this sounds kind of soap opera-ish. Not that I would know what a soap opera is. I don't watch them. Okay, back in college I used to watch Days of Our Lives. I don't know why, but this, this feels like a soap opera. Okay, so after Jacob gets the blessing, he slides out the back door while Esau comes in the front door, and Esau immediately learns that Jacob got his blessing. 
It was given to his brother, and it can't be undone. So the story says that Esau held a grudge against his brother, which is like just a massive understatement of all understatements. Then Esau says for everyone else to hear, he says, once dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. Remember, what kind of a guy is Esau? He's a rugged outdoorsman. He's the guy who likes to go out and hunt. So this is a serious threat. Jacob is a dead man walking, right? So now he's on the run. He's banished from his community. He's essentially a fugitive. He knows that his brother is on the hunt, but he's not hunting wild game. He's hunting Jacob. Like his life is in danger. So now he's on the run. And here's where our story picks up this morning. So eventually, Jacob finds himself out in the wilderness, completely alone. He's afraid. There's probably a sense of guilt and shame he's carrying around with him. He's just made a mess of his life and the lives of the ones that that he loves the most. Have you ever been in a place like that? Where you've just royally made a mess of things? That's where he is. He's on the run. Maybe you didn't run off anywhere, but you've retreated. You've run off somewhere inside yourself. That's where he is. He's in the wilderness, completely alone. And just as the sun is setting in the west, he he takes a stone and puts it on the ground. And he uses it as a pillow. And he falls asleep. And while he sleeps, he dreams. And while he dreams, he, he sees this crazy thing. It's really weird when you think about it. He sees this ladder, or it's a staircase, or a ramp, and it's, it's connecting heaven and earth. Right? Can you see it in your mind's eye? Picture it. And on this ladder, staircase, there are angels. They're ascending and descending and ascending, constantly moving up and down all over the place. They're just going up and down this staircase. And then he hears the craziest thing. He hears the voice of the Lord, God. God says, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. Look, the promises that I made to them, I now transfer. I now make them to you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. And then this in verse 15, I am with you. I'm with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you. So Jacob, I imagine he wakes up and shakes his head, grabs his canteen and smells it to make sure he wasn't drinking something other than water. And he says to himself, surely the Lord is in this place. Oh, the divine is right here. And I just wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, oh, how awesome is this place? So that's the story in the background. So now what do we do with it? Uh, what's, this story, what's this story saying to us? Well, I think it's saying a lot of things, and there are a lot of things that we could say, but we're going to go with three things. I know you're shocked, um, but we're going to go with three things, and it's really, to be honest with you, it's one big thing, but I'm saying it in three different ways, so be prepared for redundancy. It's okay. It's a good thing. 
right? So two quick things and then one longer thing. So here's the first thing. God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. The creator of heaven and earth and everything in between. The creator of the universe, which is just mind-blowingly large. The one who created all of that wants to be with you. Wants to be in relationship with us human beings. And that thought right there ought to blow our minds every single time we think of it. The ladder between heaven and earth, like I think it's a pretty clear and obvious sign that God doesn't want to, God doesn't want to just rule the earth from, from all the way out there, somewhere up there, wherever it is that we envision God's throne to be. No, God wants to be with us, connected to creation. God's desire to be connected and in relationship with human beings was, was first seen in the creation story. And back when Adam and Eve were walking through the garden, this was after they did their little thing with the fruit that wasn't good. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This idea is all over the pages of this book. It's everywhere. God wants to be in relationship with us. And this longing for God's human connection, for God to connect with human beings, was, was seen most clearly when God decided to step out of heaven and put on human flesh and become a human being in the person of Jesus. Merry Christmas in July, everybody. Jacob's dream reveals that God isn't some distant, way up there kind of a God. It's not what we're talking about here. No, God is the one who enters into the very center of human life. In the middle of all of its complexities and all of its difficulties and all of its hardships. Remember where Jacob is. Remember what just happened. He's on the run. He's in the wilderness. He's ruined relationships. He's somewhat lost. He's absolutely alone, and yet, God. Okay. So if you grew up in church, like I did, this was something that you learned when you were, like, three years old. Like, early on, and then you only started to think more deeply about it when you turned maybe 10 or 11 or 12 or... Or 15 and still when you get to be my age you're still pondering this idea that God wants to be in relationship with us but here's here's the here's the here's the surprising thing it's the way in which God approaches Jacob that's the surprising thing and I think it tells us something really really significant God comes to us approaches us in grace, not judgment. God approaches us in grace, not judgment. When God shows up, what's his first move? What's his first move with Jacob? It's not judgment. When God first shows up, what's his first move? It's not anger. What's his first move? It's not punishment. It's not earthquakes. It's not 
a lightning bolt. No, it's just his presence. And then there's something more. There's blessing. And there's promise. God comes to us in grace. Not in judgment. If anyone deserved judgment, <laughs> if anyone deserved anger, if anyone deserved punishment, if anyone deserved earthquakes and lightning bolts, it was Jacob. I mean, this dude, this dude deceived his father and stole from his brother. And this wasn't a spur of the moment thing either. This was premeditated deception, premeditated theft. And yet, there's God. There's his presence. And there's blessing. And there's promise. God comes to us in grace. Not in judgment. Here's the deal. I don't know, I don't know where you've been necessarily. I don't necessarily know. I don't know what you've done. I don't necessarily know the kind of guilt that you're carrying around with you. But read this story, listen to what it says. In this moment, right here, right now, God comes to you in grace. In that guilt that you're carrying around, you don't have to carry it around anymore. You might have to work through it a little bit with your therapist, and that's okay, but you don't ultimately have to carry it around. That shame that you're carrying around, again, you might have to work through it with your therapist, and that's fine. That's all good and beautiful, but God comes to you right here, right now, in this moment. God comes to you in grace. I mean, just like this was a sort of fresh start for Jacob, this, this moment right now can be the beginning of a new beginning for you. And look, this doesn't mean that this relationship with God thing is going to be all butterflies and candy and rainbows and, you know, whatever. No, no. This relationship with God thing is probably going to feel more like a wrestling match, a struggle, a push and pull, as Jacob would later find out. But today, right now, in this moment, just be still for a bit. Just be quiet for a bit. And know that God comes to you in grace. So those, those are two things. God wants to be in a relationship with you, and he comes in grace. And here's the third thing. God promises to be with us wherever we are, whenever we are there, whatever the circumstances. That's what he tells Jacob. I'm with you wherever you go. I will not. I won't leave you. Okay, so here's what we're going to do in this moment. We're, we're going to connect this story with a few other places in the scriptures. Right? I'm going to kind of geek out on you a little bit. I'm going to kind of nerd out on you a little bit, and that's fine, um, because I want to. Um, so we're first going to connect this story with the creation story back in Genesis chapter 1. 
that story begins like this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. So there's this sort of cosmic, I don't know what, goop that God has to start out with. We don't know where it came from or how it got there. We just know that it's there. That's what the story says. And then the story moves on. And then God said, let there be. And then there was. Right? So several times it's a poem and there's this refrain that says, God said, let there be, and then there was, and it was good. God said, let there be, and there was, and, and it was good. Right? So God creates the entire universe through speech. Right? It's like God is a king on a throne. Right? You think of earthly kings. When they make a proclamation or decree, it better happen. Right? Or off with your head. Like, it's not how God is working here. Right? But it's like that. It's that kind of an idea. If the king says something, if the king issues a decree, it's going to happen. Right? So God is the king on the throne. He speaks and it happens. By God's word, the whole universe just explodes into being. Because God spoke. God said it. Spoke it into existence. Are you with me? Now, back to this story. Jacob sleeps, and while he sleeps, he dreams. And while he dreams, he sees this, this weird thing, this crazy thing. He sees this staircase. And it's connected between heaven and earth. And, and on it, there are angels going up and down, ascending and descending. Picture it. See it in your mind's eye. Can you see it? There are angels. What is he seeing? What is happening here? What is he looking at? What is that? Let's think about it for a moment. What are angels? Angels are messengers. Angels carry messages. They carry the word of the Lord. Think of the angels visiting Mary. You're going to be with child. Think of the angels visiting and saying, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. They bring messages. They literally carry the word of the Lord. So what is Jacob seeing? Well, in the words of my Old Testament professor back in seminary, Thomas Bogart, overall just awesome dude, what Jacob is seeing is the infrastructure of the universe. Jacob is seeing that the universe is held together by the word of God. He's seeing the thing behind the thing, the thing that puts everything together and sustains it and holds it together, right? He's seeing like Neo sees in the Matrix, right? He sees the, you know, the green things going up and down. He sees that. It's, I know it's an old movie reference, but I'm 43. I can make old movie references now. I can't, so that's what I'm going to do. If you've seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. He sees the thing behind, he sees like nobody else sees. Jacob sees the thing behind the thing, the thing that's holding the whole universe together. Just as God created the whole universe by God's word, the whole thing is held together and sustained by God's word. That is how close God really is. Are you with me? Fast forward to the New Testament. John's story about Jesus tells us what? Tells us that the word 
became flesh in this person named Jesus. So if we want to know what kind of word this is that creates and sustains all things, what do we do? We look at Jesus. If we want to know, if we want to know what holds everything together and sustains everything, if we want to know what kind of word this is that creates and sustains all things, we look to Jesus and we see that this word, this Jesus, is, is generous and gracious and loving and life-giving. And then Paul picks up on this idea too. Literally, this is all over the Bible. Paul picks up on this on this idea when he writes to the, the Colossians and he says that in Jesus, all things hold together. How cool is this? So Jacob sees the infrastructure of the universe. He sees a ladder with angels carrying the creative, life-sustaining word of God. That is how close God is. So I have an assignment for you. Like, I want you to do something. Uh, sometime during the next week, I want, you to, I want you to practice some solitude. I want you to go out for a walk all by yourself, alone. Maybe 20 minutes to a half hour or longer. I want you to, I want you to try this. I want you to go out for a walk. Leave everything else behind. We have all kinds of pressures on us. We have all kinds of things that we have to do. But Jacob, he only had this vision. He only had this realization. He only became aware when he stopped, when he was quiet. So I want you to go for a walk. Maybe in your neighborhood, all by yourself. Maybe in a park. You get to choose the place. And while you're out walking, I want you to breathe deeply, and I want you to see it. I want you to look for it. I want you to use your imagination. I want you to see it in your mind's eye. I want you to see that ladder right next to you, extending from right there at your feet all the way up to heaven with those angels on it, ascending and descending, carrying the very word of God. And I know this sounds weird, and I know it sounds mystical, and I know it sounds all whatever, but give it a try. Give it a shot. And I think that when you do, I think you'll find that you'll come to the realization that God is closer to you than the very air that you breathe. And I think you'll find that God's presence is always generous. It's always gracious, it's always loving, and it's always life-giving. Look, I know that most of these ideas, if any of them, I know they're not new. But here's what I do know about these ideas. They're huge. These are big, foundational, important, beautiful ideas. God wants to be in relationship with you. The divine, the one who made all things and everything in between. God wants to be in relationship with you. 
And when God comes to you, when God approaches you, God approaches in grace. And God promises to be with you wherever you are, whenever you are there, in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And I think that if we human beings would just walk around on this planet with that awareness, even just a little bit more than we already do, if we would just walk around this planet with that awareness, even just a little bit more, I honestly believe that it would change everything. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for your presence. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the ways in which you reveal yourself to us. Thank you for wanting to be with us. Grateful for your generous, gracious, loving, life-giving presence. We ask, oh God, that you would help us. Help us to just stop. Take a break. To breathe. So that we can pay attention to that presence. And God, be with us wherever we are, whenever we are there. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.